Welcome back to the Tristan Rendell Show. On this episode of the podcast, I talked with Sky, who is best described as a rock climber and outdoor badass. Now, unlike many of my guests who I have on this podcast, Sky doesn't have anything promote, so I just have a quick audio note and then we can get right into the episode. So unfortunately, with this episode, when I originally recorded it, I managed to somehow delete one side of the recording. So I only have an audio file that I've done my best to fix up for Sky side of the conversation. You can still hear me talking, but it's quite a bit quieter. So my apologies if the audio is a bit screwy. If you have sensitive ears, then this might be one to skip. I'd also recommend it might be a bit easier to hear with headphones. So just watch the volume on this. Again, I've done the best I can to correct it in post but there's only so much you can do. That being said, this is one of my favorite conversations that I've had on the podcast so far, so I think if your ears can stand it, it is certainly worth a listen. Enough of me rambling, and on to the podcast. All right, so we're on air. We're live. <laughs> How did, is this, have you ever recorded anything before? Like live uh, video? Or? Nope. <laughs> How does it feel being in our amazing white room studio? Um, kind of strange it's kind of strange mm, kind of cool weird stores locker recording studio with white walls a bean bag a bookshelf a couple of random things but it's a little barren so. i had a friend who lived in a storage locker like this once since <laughs> well i feel like we just gotta start right here um well when we were uh when we were living in squamish and and in back in the dirt bag days i guess i had like the ultra slick van that I lived in um and we had a few friends that were super dirt bags and just wanted to spend all their money on climbing gear and so they didn't want to rent places to live in and so they just rented storage lockers damn that's actually kind of genius there was there was a storage there was a set of storage lockers um about 100 meters from the pub yeah and so they would just eat all their meals at the pub and sleep in their storage locker (laughs) and (laughs) store their gear there And then the owner of the storage locker found out and he was like, he's like, you guys can't live here. And they're like, well, we're going to be really respectful. You know, they're heated storage lockers. They're like half our time is spent away from home anyway. And, and so then it became a thing. There was like three or four of them. It's like, (laughs) like renting these storage lockers and, and living in these tiny little cubicles. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that was like that was almost thirty years ago now. So, you I know. Mean, honestly, though, like we actually have lockers in this building. It was I a. Hope there's no code inspectors. I swear we don't have anyone living here. But yeah, it was. Yeah. Do you know, like, did they just have sleeping bags and stuff, or did they actually put in? Like, no. So, the, so my one friend that I hung out with a lot, yeah. he was actually a climbing partner of mine for years. Um, he built like a bunk bed, and he had like a desk underneath it, and. You know, he was writing articles for climbing magazines, and yeah. he had his little computer in there. And Damn, that sounds awesome. Which is like super dirt bag setup, tiny yeah. little like, whatever it was, ten by twenty storage locker. Wow, that is so cool. So do you know like, were, how did they get into that? Like, did they just like? I'm assuming it was like a self-serve storage locker or something. Like it was one of the ones where it's outside. Kind of yeah, they just had a key and. Yeah. Just moved in. Yeah. Well, I mean, back then everything in Squamish was pretty, was pretty close. Like 
everything was within 10 minutes of a trail to a crag. Wow. So pretty easy to get around, you know? Yeah. What a setup. <laughs> so you say like back in the dirtbag days. Well, my dirtbag days. I mean, there's still dirtbags. I was going to but... say. <laughs> but I mean, like, could you tell me a bit more about like how you went from... You told me a story once about how you were a teenager and started getting into like skiing and being a bit of a ski bum, but like... What was the progression to full dirt bag? So the progression for me was um, I really didn't fit in in high school at all. Uh, and the only place I really felt at home was when I was up in the mountains skiing. And so I did a lot of, missed a lot of school, <laughs> skied a lot. Um, and then all through high school, I was like, hey, I got to get out of this town. And so as soon as I graduated, Valley, right? yeah, out of the Comox Valley. So. Um, I was at Highland. Oh, that explains it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, so the progression basically was, I was like, I'm moving to Whistler, um, taking a year off to be a ski bum, which turned into several years. Um, but anyway, so I, you know, I moved directly to Whistler. I was there by August after I'd graduated and then spent a few years in Whistler and it was it was tough to be there because it, everything was so expensive. And then I got into climbing a little more, and I was like, I'm I'm out of here. This town's too many tourists. Moving to Squamish. Um, bought a van. I was living in my van. Moved to Squamish. Got a job at the local pub, and it was a great gig because I could climb all day and then go to work at four thirty at night. And and four thirty in the morning. No, so I had the sweet I had the sweet gig of like I had Sunday mornings, so I worked Wednesday to Sunday morning. And so Wednesday to Friday I could just work, but I could climb all day. So Well, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, that was living in the parking lot. You oh, so yeah, you're living <laughs> in a van. I have so many questions. I'm just going to pause for one second and I'm just going to double check the recording. Sure. All right, so when we're back, hate to have an awkward pause there. It's always kind of a thing with podcasts where, like, soon as Kirk looks over at the levels, like, starts checking, everyone gets all nervous. They're like, oh, God, no. Awkward silence. Don't lose the files. No, so we were just talking about how you went through progression of going from being a bit of a dirtbag in high school, or, like, would you say you were a dirtbag? I was not a dirtbag in high school. I, you know, I had a warm home. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I had to buy all my own ski gear and pay for my own ski pass and stuff, but, but no, I had a, I had a pretty cushy gig growing up. Well, I, was, I, was <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure some don't, but hopefully most do. What, what do you like, what do you have to do to qualify as a dirt bag? I think that's. To qualify as a dirt bag. Um, <laughs> at least to me, it's always kind of like a badge of honor. I've seen it used as people throw around like climbers and skiers and stuff like that. Um, Did it used to be like that? I, like I think that, well, I mean, when I was being a dirtbag, it wasn't, I didn't think it was cool. It was just, <laughs> it was just how, um, yeah, it was just how I had to live in order to be able to climb and ski all the time. Like, um, yeah, you know, like to rent a place and, and take care of a place or do all those things, uh, it was way more appealing to just spend all my money on 
trips and and climbing gear you know like um work part-time and and have a lot of time and space to just do whatever i wanted yeah it's definitely interesting to see how i mean i don't know how much you pay attention to that kind of stuff now but it, it definitely feels like it's kind of gone mainstream but i don't know maybe that's just like stuff like van life like that's a huge thing on instagram these days where everyone's like oh i want to go live in a van and you'll see photos of people's like scenic view outside of their couple hundred thousand dollar modified sprinter van <laughs> yeah well my my van my van definitely wasn't I paid like $1,500 for my van and yeah. I worked a night security job for a while to so that I could like steal insulation from the garbage cans and and insulate my van um yeah I don't know I guess it, I think it's always been a thing yeah. I think it's just more visible now yeah you know like Back in those days, like we didn't have cell phones and no, yeah. nobody was taking pictures of live, living in their van. They were just doing their thing, going climbing and skiing. And Well, it definitely was much more of a thing. Like, did you, people really look down on you and stuff? Like, if they found out you were living in the van or was it like people kind of respected it? Or? You know, I don't really know. <laughs> I never, I never, uh, I've never been one to really... I mean, since high school, I've never been a person to really pay attention to what other people thought, you know? Definitely, I think, pretty solid life advice. <laughs> giving away the majority. Yeah, I, I imagine some people looked down on the people who were living in the vans, like, yeah. it's kind of a strange, strange gig, but, I mean, we were all climbers, and we were young and broke, and so... <laughs> I think they'd probably be more horrified about the climbing in the van living in <laughs> Yeah, so I'm I'm not sure. Like, I don't think my parents really. I don't think it bothered them. Yeah. They were like, "Well, you're happy, so it's, it's all Did good." They have any like ambitions for you to like go become a doctor, lawyer, some sort of professional <laughs> career, any, any shit like that? Or were you just like they're pretty chill when you're like? My mom was. Old? My mom was pretty chill about it. My dad, until I was maybe almost, well, until I was about 25, my dad was like, you need to go to school and like get a real job and get get your degree and, you know, have like a real life. And I was like, I don't think that's for me. Um, and I remember we had a conversation one time and he was like, you know what? As long as you're happy. He's like, I just want you to be happy. He's like, I don't really care if you ever have a career, or just, you know. And, uh, I'm glad it came around in the end. It's, you know, it always is a little cracks me up in a kind of a sad way when people are like, yeah, you gotta go get a real life to say, and like, you, you, cause like, and when it boils down, they're like, well, we all just want to be happy. But it's since when have office jobs and standard careers being good at getting that? <laughs> well, like, you know, to be honest, now, like, now that I'm like 45 and. Yeah. And I have a family and stuff. I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I should have finished my degree and, you know, got a career. But by the time that that seemed like a good idea, I was 40. So, you know. (laughs) I definitely want to come back to that because, like, I'm, as a young person, trying to figure out, like, what I want to do with my life and how far I want to lean into the, like, stuff I want to do that's, like, go be a dirtbag and climb stuff versus trying to get educated and hoard money like any good capitalist citizen (laughs) it's always a tough choice of like how much do you want to do to live now versus like 
stockpile for the future as much as you can. So Yeah, I think I think finding balance in that is Yeah. Is a good thing. Um but having said that, I mean I have friends who've been dirtbags, they're like sixty and never really had a real job or a career and and are incredibly happy human beings. Yeah. Um so you know, it's just an individual. Yeah, definitely. I have a few couple questions I want to come back to you all off on that, but I want to ask you more about your actual time, like being a dirtbag first, just before we <laughs> totally lose the thread and get a little too tangential. So like, you, so what was your ski experience like in high school? Like, were you on a ski team or anything or just like getting your hiking up the mountain or something on weekends? And So I grew up skiing. Like I literally don't remember how learning how to ski. Um, my dad was super into cross country skiing. My mom was on ski patrol. Yeah. I progressed from like crawl, walk, run, ski. Um, you know, when I was like, when I was like six years old, because my mom was on ski patrol, all the ski patrollers knew me and I was skiing the mountain all by myself. And, and I wasn't wow. big enough to get on the chairlift by myself. I was too short. <laughs> And so I would always like ski up to one of the ski patrollers and be like, Hey, can you help me on the chairlift? Um, and they'd like lift me up on the chairlift. And, um, but I mean, back in those days on Mount Washington, it was super small community. Everybody knew everybody. Um, you know, all the adults were looking out for the kids and stuff. Uh, and then, you know, I did a little bit of ski racing when I was young and then in high school, there was a ski team and so I joined ski team and and it was great we got to take days off school and go chain up the mountain and go on all these um yeah you know like going on trips with your ski team to Whistler and spending four days you know at 15 or 16 years old that's it was epic um I can definitely agree with that. I, so, I guess I've been a four-day ski trip, but I did last year get to do a ski trip with a ski team to Whistler, and it was definitely epic. So, Yeah, so I don't even remember what the question was now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see why we can't be on topic. No, I was just curious. Like, So you started off in high school. You're obviously, it sounds like you like, just grew up skiing pretty much from the moment. Like, Do you think you'd walk first or... No, I mean, I was like, I was like maybe three or four yeah. the first time I skied, I think. I don't really, wow. I don't know. Still crazy young. I was little and, and yeah, that was just, I remember this one year I was like 15 maybe and it was a bad snow year. There was no snow till like January and I was like, what do people do on the weekends in the winter? Like I was genuinely yeah. just confounded. I was like, what? I don't even know what to do with myself yeah. on the weekends. It's winter and I can't go skiing. Um, that was just, it wasn't like, oh, should we go skiing this weekend? It was. Yeah, it's like, how, when are we going? I'm like, you just got up at six o'clock and you're up the mountain by eight. And wow. that was. Did you the ski bus back then or did you like hitchhike or um, drive you? Well, most of the time. So when I was younger, it was always my mom because she was ski patrol. So she was up there all the time. And then, you know, as a teenager, I had a ton of friends who, who skied. So we were always hitching rides with each other and, um, you know, and then in high school, I, I spent a lot of time, I wasn't mentally well 
in, in high school. And so there were a lot of days when my mom would just be like, you know what, I think you should just go skiing today. <laughs> and she would just drop me off at the base of the mountain and I'd hitchhike up. And, you know, we knew everybody who worked up there. So it was really easy to just wow. hitch rides. And well, I definitely appreciate that your mom did that. <laughs> mentally well in high school <laughs> at least in my experience but. yeah so yeah so then did you like how did you find when people started like planning for careers and stuff like did you just know you wanted to go for keep living a skiing lifestyle and go live in Whistler or did um, you just like fall into it well so in high school I, I wanted to be a doctor yeah I was convinced that I was I'm gonna go to medical school um and then, but I was like, but I really want to just go live in a ski town and like have that experience. And so I did that. And through the process of, of living on my own, um, you know, trying to find a job and pay the rent and all the things, yeah. um, and skiing as much as I could, uh, I was like, oh, I don't know, man, like being a doctor's pretty heavy. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, and then I, I actually did go to college. I went to college and, you know, yeah. I was going to be a herbalist and stuff. And and I was like, oh, this is, even this is pretty heavy. <laughs> um, but, you know, so uh, I moved to Vancouver after a year in Whistler, yeah. spent 10 months uh, doing a clinical herbalist program at Wild Rose College, yeah. um, which is doesn't exist anymore. It's It's an online program now. Um, but yeah, after like 10 months of that, I was 19 and I was like, you know what? It's, it's too much. I'm like, I just want to go ski <laughs> and hang out in the mountains. Um, so I dropped out of school and went back to Whistler. <laughs> <laughs> um, was like, was this back in Vancouver was like super expensive or was it a bit more? Affordable. Vancouver is still super expensive. Um, I don't know. I mean, like I rented a room in someone's house, and yeah. she rented rooms to students. Um, it was probably pretty pricey. Like my parents were kind of paying my way at that point. Yeah. Um. Did you have plans to go become like a herbalist or something? And yeah, I mean, I, my my plan was to like you know, get a real job and have an office and, and do all those things. And, and I just, it, it was just too much. I was young, you know, and, and my happy place was the mountains. So I kind of just like ran away and yeah. went back to the mountains and, and spent the next, I don't know, six, seven years yeah. <laughs> just kind of climbing and living in my van. <laughs> <laughs> trying not to pay too much attention to like you know politics or <laughs> any of that were you pretty political like have like the no no like i didn't i didn't even i didn't even i don't even think i voted until i was like 30 wow <laughs> um i was i guess my my political stand was like anti-establishment yeah i didn't really um, I'm a bit of an empath, so, so paying attention to like news things, it's just, yeah, it's pretty depressing. It, it's too much. Even now I'm, I'm kind of like, I have to force myself to 
actually pay attention and be like, okay, I need to be informed at least a little bit. Yeah. Well, now it's even worse because you have like the whole world's trouble thrown at you 24 seven if you're not careful. So I feel like politics back then was kind of different because it's like you had to go out of your way to pay attention to it more. Maybe I'm wrong there. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I grew up without a TV, so yeah. you know, like living in a van and being disconnected was just, it was kind of a normal thing for me. Ooh, I got my first cell phone the last year I lived in my van. Wow. Yeah. That's so crazy to me to think about, like, living in a van, <laughs> no cell phone. Because, like, so much of my life is being, I'm going to pull out my cell phone here for the poor audio people. <laughs> Not that we have a video podcast or anything, but, like, we're all so connected with our phones and stuff. I can't imagine how different that would have been. In some ways, I'm incredibly jealous because I just feel like there's this constant, almost fear of missing out that people have inhabited through our phones, just because it's always like, oh, there could be a cooler thing going on here. Like, I'm always checking for this, that, and the other thing, and people get so hooked on it, as I'm sure you've seen with your yeah. teenagers. Yeah, and, you know, when I was living in my van, I'd just be like, oh, I want to really want to connect with this friend of mine, so i just drive over to their place and knock on the door and show up with beer, you know? like Yeah, see, people <laughs> would freak out. Like, we're so, like, hey, want to go meet up? And it's like an hour of texting later, you're finally heading out the door, so... Or at least it certainly feels like that way sometimes. So that is definitely a different world. How did you find like having a social life and stuff? Like, would you all park your vans in the same parking lot or something? Or would you just yeah, well, when I lived in Squamish, um, I mean, a lot of the social life happened at the pub or like, you know, we had we had one friend lived at the end of No Name Road and and people would just gather there. Yeah. They were just the kind of people that were like, come hang out. And you'd show up there and there'd already be five other people. And be like, let's all make dinner together. And, you know, there'd be a couple vans parked outside. And after a week, they'd be like, hey, you should go park your van somewhere else for a while. <laughs> um, but that was before there was a park at the base of the Squamish Chief. Yeah. And so... And that's like the big climbing Well, what is now the campground at the base of the chief, um, was always a campground, but now it's a provincial campground. But when, when I was living in Squamish and living in my van, um, there were three or four pe people who lived in their tents and there's a couple of people living in their trucks and wintertime was pretty scarce. You know, there'd be maybe like eight of us yeah. and then summertime it'd be packed. Um, but it was really easy to socialize cause you just like somebody would have a campfire and Everybody just wanders over or like on the rainy days, everyone would come knocking on my van. They'd be like, hey, you got a dry space? I brought beer. <laughs> you know, like we'd play dice or we'd yeah. just bullshit or whatever. And yeah, like there was there was never really like plan ahead other yeah. than like, hey, you want to go do this route tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. I really wonder if that's still the same or how much that's changed with like social media and stuff and things being also more popularized like i know squamish is a totally different situation than what it probably was back then now so i don't know i really wonder like if there's any people listening in their van out there who are like yeah man like i'm here with like eight other band buddies we're all just hanging out we're having a good time or if it's like everyone in their own van like texting each other over social media and being like should we climb next week all right well i'm climbing this day with this person and i've got my schedule and like yeah i don't i don't really know also i think that the people that are drawn to kind of like the I'm gonna live in my van a lot I think a lot of us are loners yeah. 
Yeah. Like we kind of have that. I definitely see that. Like a lot of the people that I've known who live in their vans are like, hey, just like don't bug me. <laughs> I'm I'm parked down by the river with no cell phone because I want to be alone, not you know. Yeah. Do you think a lot of climbers are like that, or is that just like more the van people? I don't I don't really know. Um Is there any like common theme and you see the people who are I mean climbers but also just like I don't know, like counterculture van kind of dirtbag people in general. Like what is there any consistent theme <laughs> other than just like disgruntled disgruntled people who want to ski climb or do cool stuff other than work in an office like uh, i would say that the only the only theme that really i can see for like all of the people that i've known who who live that kind of lifestyle are people who just want to spend as much time as they can doing the things they love and you know, like skiing is expensive. Climbing is not expensive, but it takes a lot of time. And, and you know, time is money. So it, there's a trade-off, right? Yeah. Like if you want to spend all your time in the mountains going on trips and, and doing all these things, then there's not a, there's less time to make money. And um, I think the people who are living that lifestyle just don't really care about the money so much, right? Like the experience is way more important to them. Um, I'd say that even for myself now, like, you know, I own a house and I run a business and I have a family, but, but I'm not out to make money. Yeah. Right. Like I'd way rather spend my time and money having experiences out in the world than like, stockpiling like cash for the future which might not happen because i'll you know die in a motorcycle accident or like yeah. whatever you know it's really interesting to hear you say that because it, it does really make me think like hold up like the opposite of what you're saying sounds so crazy when you put it into perspective but i think so many people kind of fall into that without thinking about it like especially like my parents definitely lean they both have done a lot of experiential stuff but lean towards more like having a job like doing the stable working nine till five, stockpile the money, buy the house, that kind of white picket fence stuff. And it always is interesting to me, like, not to say that my parents are hippies in their own way, but <laughs> um, I say as I'm talking to my dad's like crazy makerspace workshop recording studio, so I can't really complain to be clear, but it is always interesting to me, like, how people will kind of think about or not think about their life choices. And I really wonder how many people are intentionally stockpiling money and stuff or how much of it is just people being like feeling like they have to do it before they can do the the stuff they want to do like go skiing or go climbing or whatever it is the, the thing that gets them by so i don't know yeah i think our culture is interesting in that way that we culturally um in like western culture we we really reward people who you know, or quote unquote successful, they have like the degree and the, you know, the, the yeah. business and, and all the money and stuff. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I'd be more than happy to have a bunch of money and be able to do a bunch of stuff with it. But, um, the trade-off is, is big. And, and I, I will also say like, you know, once I decided to have kids, my perspective changed a lot. I was it's, gonna ask you because I feel like that makes such a huge difference. It's, 
it's still like I still I think I still focus on the experience more but you know having a like a safe home and you know enough security to whatever like fix my kids teeth or you know yeah um put shoes on their feet and stuff like that like it's it does kind of change your perspective because it's not you know, back when it was just me, I was like, ah, whatever. Yeah, well, it's your trade-off to make. Like, it's you know, a different when it's like you're making that decision of like, I don't know, having more like comfort and warm place to sleep versus like getting to do the cool thing. A bit different when you're forcing a bunch of kids to do that too. So. Yeah, so, but but even now, you know, like. But yeah, it's a trade-off because I think like some people, I mean, you know, like the corporate parents and stuff who were like, go a little too far the other way, who were like. But yeah, sure. I, I actually don't know any of those parents. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you don't, but <laughs> I'm sure you can imagine them. Like, <laughs> not, again, maybe you don't get that here. Like, growing up in Richmond, you, we got a lot of parents who were like, not so much of my friends, but we, we saw it more and more as the neighborhood we lived in was kind of gentrified, um, which is kind of ironic because it's all stolen land anyways in the first place, but it was like third wave gentrification of um, generally Asian, but just other cultures which generally work much harder and are way more into like okay like I work super hard so that my kid can go to school from I don't know nine till three then he can do his one hour violin lesson and then he can do his um I don't know his soccer class and then he can go to cram school and then he can repeat the process the next day and like they've got this whole (laughs) crazy progression going on but they're working super hard to give their kids an experience instead of working less and giving the kids the experience themselves because they just value that more. So it's interesting to see, like, that yeah. doesn't go too far. And it's funny because I, I kind of grew up that way. Yeah? You know, I was the kid who had, like, nine classes every week and it was all this, like, big schedule. And yeah. um, and maybe that's why I fell in love with the mountains so much is because, like, on the weekends, I was yeah. allowed to just go and be just be free. You know, like there was days that I would go up on the ski hill and I would just be like a sunny day or it'd be a blizzard and I would just find a cozy spot to sit and I would just sit there and like have a snack and just hang out. (laughs) You know, I'm like, I don't have to do anything. Nobody's going to make me go anywhere or learn anything or perform to some degree. Um, And even our ski team was like that, right? Like we were encouraged to excel, but, but it was all just about having fun. Yeah, no one's... You know, they're like, yeah, we're going to make you an amazing skier. But we don't care if you win. Yeah. Right? Like nobody cared. Yeah. I think it's I think it's few teams for still pretty chill like that. Like everyone's just there to have fun. No one's really trying to I'm sure there are like super competitive ski teams out there. Like I know the cross country ski team a friend on, like they train year round. He's always doing like dryland training and stuff and like I think it's a club, so they like they want the competition, but yeah. it's super competitive. So it definitely exists. But Yeah. Oh no, we had dryland training. We started in October. Did you do downhill? Um, no, we were, um, we were skiing slalom races yeah. and yeah, dryland training was at 6am at school. Brutal. We would train for an hour. Um, they would push us so hard that some guys would puke, you know, like, <laughs> but, but at the same time it was it, like the skiing part was all just like, let's go out and have a lot of fun, yeah. you know, let's be fast and like, hopefully we'll win. But it was, it was never... It wasn't like we're it, doing this to win a gold medal. Yeah, but you know the the point the point I was making was that 
like the mountains were the one place where I was, I felt like I wasn't being, you know, there were no demands. Yeah. Right. Like go out, be safe, have fun. Yeah. And there's always chocolate. Um, you know, when I, when I was a little kid and on the Nancy Green ski team, um, we had a race, I don't know if it was weekly or monthly, but anyway, after every race, they would give us a Mars bar. Yeah. Everyone who raced got a Mars bar. And I was always so stoked because there was never candy at my house. And, um, and then, yeah, you know, in high school, there was just always chocolate. Coaches had chocolate. We had chocolate. Yeah. (laughs) Not necessarily a bad thing. Definitely, probably a pretty good ski snack. <laughs> it's not going to melt or anything like summer. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, like, I, I feel what you're saying, and I feel like a lot of people, I mean, even just myself, but, like, it seems like a lot of people have a similar experience of, like, growing up and everyone's so, kind of, I don't know, it feels like everyone's trying to force themselves to be something, and no one's really entirely sure what it is. Like, if you ask anyone on the street, they're like, well, I don't know, like, I'm just trying to have a life and do my 9 to 5, and there's, like, all this pressure, and no individual person is really putting it on anyone, and it's not really clear where it came from, but it, it definitely feels like it's there, at least to me, and so I think a lot of people really love like getting out of that, and just outdoors is how a lot of people find a way to get away from it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just a cultural thing. Yeah. Anyway. Have you ever lived in any other like cultures? Like, did you ever travel outside of Canada? Or? Um. Well, I did a lot of climbing in the States. <laughs> I probably shouldn't comment on that too much. Um, uh, just because of the stereotypical American. Um, uh, I spent a small, a small chunk of time living in Cape Town in South Africa. That was pretty cool. Um, uh, I fell in love with some guy and, you know. He ditched, he ditched me as soon as we got there, but whatever. Um, it's a whole, that's a whole other, like, <laughs> um, I love to hear the story, but I understand you want to give us the <laughs> crazy, um, story. yeah, long story short, uh, I connected cause we, by this point in my life, we had email and yeah. like, and like internet cafes where you would go to email people. No, no. Um, so I emailed my friend in Squamish and I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. And she was like, hey, we have a mutual friend who happens to be living in Cape Town. Here's his email address. And so I emailed him and he was like, yeah, I got an extra room in my house. You should come live with me. Yeah. So we hung out and we, we did a bunch of climbing in Cape Town. And One thing led to another. Yeah, you know, eventually I just came home because as things happen but that was really my only that was my one big like cultural awakening i was like oh there's a lot of people in the world living way more simply than we do yeah definitely (laughs) so did you like did you meet him before you went to cape town or did you just like fly to cape town and win and the 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 friend yeah um no i had i had known him from squamish and um, oh yeah, so you knew him before. Yeah, yeah, I'd known him in Squamish, and I'd I'd visited with him uh, when he lived in at Red Mountain, and you know, like we knew each other through the community, so it wasn't like a total stranger. Yeah, I was gonna say that's kind of hard for 
<laughs> Some random dude you're emailing a couple times through an internet cafe and you're like, yeah, let's go. It's kind of how traveling is though. Yeah, definitely. You know, like I traveled with one guy that I met at a hostel and yeah. I'd literally only known him for two days and he was like, hey, I'm going to Lesotho and visit my family and I was like, hey, can I come with you? And, you know, we hung out for a week and, and traveled around and yeah. then we went our separate ways, just like random stranger. But there's definitely a thing in like traveling and stuff just because it's like you're all kind of united by you're all a bunch of strangers here. So it's like grab somebody and go climb. And yeah, I think... It, it was a good way for me to learn to trust my intuition, you know, meeting people and being like, hey, I feel like I can trust you. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever have times where you like met people and like were like bad gut feeling and then you didn't do stuff? stuff Not like, very often. I think the only time that ever happened to me was hitchhiking to Squamish. Yeah. And stand on the side of the highway in the pouring rain and some dude pulls over and you're like, no, I think I'll just wait for the next ride. <laughs> Well, what was it about him? Like, was it just a gut feeling of like something's not right? Yeah, just that, just that weird, like, you know, if you ever get the feeling that like somebody's watching you yeah, and you're, you kind of look around and you're like, oh, I don't know what this is weird. I shouldn't be feeling creeped out. Yeah. Um, huh. yeah, that's, I think that's the only time that's ever happened really. Wow. <laughs> but I mean, in those days, we hitchhiked everywhere. I was gonna say so. hitchhiking was a bit more chill. Now, like people can be a strange look if you're hitchhiking, but at least in some places, like it really depends where. I think hitchhiking is still pretty big, like Mount Washington or Hornby. People are pretty chill about it. Yeah. No, I hitchhiked everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> did you have any? Like, you sounds like you had a pretty good time. Like, never had any crazy experiences, good or bad, from hitchhiking or. From hitchhiking? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the only bad experience I ever had hitchhiking, I wasn't actually hitchhiking. I was, uh, my dog had wrecked his back and I'd leave him in the mountains. And I, so I, I left my partner with my dog and I got to the parking lot and realized that I'd left the keys to our vehicle oh, no. in my partner's backpack. And it's like getting dark now. And there was one other car left in the parking lot and these two guys come out. And um, I was like, I'm really desperate. I need to get a ride back, back home. And, yeah. and they're like, totally, we totally give you a ride home. Um, and I, like, I'm not religious in any way, shape or form, but I prayed the entire drive home that I wasn't going to die. Because <laughs> I, I don't know, they were like drunk or high or something. And, yeah. and they're, it was this crazy ride. Um, but that, yeah, that's the only time. <laughs> So, well, here I am, so. <laughs> you never know, like maybe you survived a crash or something. No, no, it, it all worked out in the end. No. I think uh, there's so many, it's funny how many stories I've heard that are like that, where it's like, yeah, like it, it was like this close, it worked out, so it's all good. Yeah. It's just because you never hear the ones that don't work out. <laughs> maybe. Bias, yeah. Well, so that kind of leads into another question I actually wrote down and really wanted to ask was like, what's your experience being with and some of the more like extreme sports um, with people like risk taking and people, hopefully not, but like sometimes dying in the mountains. Cause I know that is kind of a thing. Like, I don't know how much it is for climbing, especially cause a lot of like lead climbing is relatively safe, but for like backcountry skiers and stuff, a lot of young people who get really into it end up like dying avalanches and stuff. So it's a kind of a weird like feeling in the climbing, but in certain communities just that like people are, might not be around that long. So. 
You know, I I have a few climbing buddies who've died in the mountains. Yeah. Um, thankfully, I've never been involved in a really bad accident. Um, I've not seen but heard a couple of grounders, which, you know. What's a grounder? Oh, like when somebody hits the ground, oh. like falls. Um, something you'll never unhear. Um, yeah. And most of the people that I have been, you know, like, like skiing with or backcountry touring with or climbing, most of the people have been relatively cautious, you know, like calculated risks, let's say. Um, yeah, I mean, I have I have friends who've pulled bodies out. Um, is that so? How much of that is like wall climbing? Like, I don't know how you even. I know you can like obviously if you have rope or something that come off or it gets screwed up and you like screw up your safety system or something, you can obviously screw yourself up that way. Or even just like screw so, yourself from a fall. But what's the most? The so most of the accidents that that I've been in, like you know, three degrees of contact with, let's say, yeah. um, most of the accidents have been like rock fall, you know, oh. just kind of like random yeah. things that you can't control. Um, you know, I have a few friends who've been in like small avalanche slides that, wow. you know, you did all the safety things, you dug your pit, you checked your snow and, you know, there's, there's random things out there. Um, but most of like, most of the people that I've been involved with have had, you know, relatively come out relatively unscathed, you know, the times when you like get lost, or your headlamp breaks, you can't get out in the dark and you're stuck there overnight. And, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it sucks, but yeah. Do like, so how do you, how do you even like get hurt doing big wall climbing? Like, is it just like equipment failure or just like random stuff? I know just like you said, there's some grounders. Like, how does that even happen? Most of the grounders that I have like been, I should say most, there's only two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the couple of times that I've seen people hit the ground, yeah. um, they were beginners, they were cocky. They didn't know what they were doing, but they yeah. thought they did. Um, and made dumb mistakes. Uh, I think climbing specifically is one of those things where, like, even after climbing for 30 years, like, I still, like, double-check my harness and, like, double-check my knots and, you know. I think climbing is definitely one of those sports that's, like, definitely favors more, like, measured, calculated risk-takers rather than, like, some of the other more extreme sports, like mountain biking or something, where it's, like, a constant, like, yeah, man, let's just send it, like, Look at that drop. Like, I'm just gonna rush it and hope for the best kind of thing. So yeah, well, it doesn't I, last very long if you're doing that kind of thing when you're 100 feet off the ground. So well, and you know it's funny because you can actually take bigger falls the higher up you are. <laughs> um, you know, I've taken huge falls climbing big walls, and yeah. but like as long as your safety systems are all in place and you've got a trusted belayer, that's the other thing. Is you know when you're climbing with a partner. You trust your partner. That's, it's a big, um, 
it's a big thing. Like I've had a ha- like, couple of people, maybe two people yeah. that I climbed with that I trusted and then realized I'm like, wow, you're actually an idiot. Um, <laughs> you know, and they're, yeah. well, you see them, nice you see them do dumb shit and you're yeah. like, oh, uh, specific well i'm not going to name the name anyone, <laughs> um so uh, yeah so uh i had a partner um we were actually dating and we climbed together all the time and we did this trip down to yosemite and um we're gonna climb the nose and he was he had been obsessed with climbing the nose for like five years yeah. He had the topple memorized, you know, all the things. And we get up there and, and he basically just like started being an asshole and like telling me I was you climbing too slow and you don't know what you're doing. Like just being just being a jerk generally. And then he dropped the topo. He dropped our topo. And I was like, dude. Like on the wall? Yeah. Wow. How how were you at that point? We were like we were only like six pitches up. I was like, dude, we need to wrap down and get a new topo. Like, this is not a good idea. And he was like, no, 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 I got it memorized. It's fine. And, you know, I was young and dumb enough to be like, okay, fine. Just climb. <laughs> and, you know, so so we, we do this climb. We spend four days on the nose. And um, it was super early. It was way too early to be climbing in Yosemite. It was like we're climbing through, like, running water and, oh. you know, so we get to the yeah. summit, we like have this like celebration, whatever. And um, of course, we'd only carried enough food for our four days. We're expecting yeah. to just like walk down. We get to the summit. There's like six feet of snow on the summit. And I was like, okay, mister, I've memorized the topo. How do we get off this fucking mountain? And he, he's like, I don't know. There should be a trail around here somewhere. <laughs> So in retrospect, you know, I was like, I just trusted this guy because yeah. he was obsessed with this route. I'm like, yeah. well, you know, you memorize the topo. Clear- I'm like, clearly, you you know, the way also the way down. <laughs> and it never occurred to me to, you know, do the research myself. Yeah. I was just being trusting and stupid. Um, so we. No, 32 pitches. Wow. No, there's there's no down climbing. Yeah, it's no, no, not no, no, a no, thing. So this is a big wall. Yeah. Um, we had a portal ledge. We spent, you know, we're hauling food, water, wow. um, all the things, right? Yeah. Poop tube, you know. Um, <laughs> so after four days, we're out of food, yeah. exhausted, soaking wet, yeah. and we're standing in six feet of snow with no clue how to get down. Um, long story short, we spent, we spent two days like stumbling around in the snow on the summit with no food, um, trying to find the trail down because it was under snow. Um, finally we find the way down. We actually stashed our gear and left our gear because we were so exhausted. We couldn't, you know, carry, carry our haul bags and everything. Um, it was, I mean, we had enough gear that we stayed warm, you know, um, but it was end of March in Yosemite Valley. Yeah. Um, 
uh, yeah. So that was kind of a big eye opener for me about trusting partners and being like, oh, you, you have more skill than I do. So I'm just going to let you, you know, I'm going to let you tell me. And, uh, yeah, ever since then it's been, I've been a lot more careful about making yeah. sure that I have the skills. Wow. And this is something you really have to like think about climbing partners and stuff. Like we're in the beginning, like, would you just like climb with anybody or were you like, how, how do you like go about finding a climbing partner? Like, do you just go on Facebook or whatever? The- <laughs> Yeah, well, like when I first got into climbing, um, I climbed a lot with my boyfriend, yeah. um, you know, eventually kicked him out of my apartment and, <laughs> and then I was like, Oh, who am I going to climb with now? And so I would just go to the climbing crags and yeah. be like, Hey <laughs> person, I don't know. <laughs> I need a climbing partner. Um, that kind of progressed into, you know, like hanging out at the climbing store and, you know, you'd meet people and, and then like friends of friends. Um, and then eventually when I moved to Squamish, it, it was just like, you know, you know, a handful of people and they know everybody. And so all of a sudden, you know, you have a, a trusted community. And when I moved to Squamish, there was, there was a lot of like older guys, you know, like I was like 20 you know, guys that were 45, 50, been climbing forever. Um, you'd bump into them at the crags and they'd be like, hey, dumbass, don't do that. <laughs> and you'd be like, what am I doing wrong? And so they'd come over and they would show you, yeah. you know, or they'd be like, hey, this this anchor you built is shit. Like, what are you thinking? And they'd, and they'd show you. So it was, we had a lot of instruction from like the older generations of people, yeah, which was pretty cool. I'm sure that's definitely going a long way, especially like safety gear and stuff, like preventing people from falling and dying. Yeah, and then, you know, when you're living in a community of people, there's always somebody to climb with. There's always, you know, people at someone's house and they're like, hey, I want to go do this route. I got nobody to climb with tomorrow. And you're like, I'll climb with you. Never (laughs) climbed with you before, but. So it sounds like you guys were pretty casual. Like he wasn't like a thing where you just like have a couple trying to climb partners that you'd really trust or would you just like kind of climb with anyone, everyone and like, did you like do a little blade check on people and stuff or just like generally pretty trusting or? We were generally pretty trusting. I mean, but when you're living in a community like that too, you know, you know, you would hear like, oh, so-and-so climbed this route with so-and-so and they told me the story about all the things that they did or, yeah. and so you would know, right? Like, yeah, it makes sense. So um, yeah, I mean, like, when it was random people that would show up who were tourists or whatever, you'd be like, I don't know, what have you climbed before? How long have you been climbing? Yeah. You know, so, and, yeah, like, I mean, me in particular, you know, somebody shows up from Vancouver in Squamish, and they're like, oh, I climbed 512, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And they're like, oh, yeah, but I have all this brand new gear, and I've never climbed outside before. And you're like, good luck. <laughs> Not... Yeah not climbing with you um so like the random you know cocky people who who have some climbing skill but no safety skill then like the climbing itself isn't that different yeah um but yeah like logistically 
safety wise, you know, setting anchors and placing gear and there's, yeah, that's a, it's like another set of skills. Right. So it definitely does seem that way. I haven't climbed a ton outside or inside, but I've always been like, I've always been looking at the climbing communities and it's like one day I want to get into that, but I've always been too hooked on other sports to actually give it a full go. But it definitely seems like it's one of those things where you really just have to like put the time in and spend a shit ton of time learning proper skills because it's not like a lot of other sports where like if you don't know it you can kind of get away with it it's like you're literally your life is in your hands or in your rope you don't want to be wondering what kind of knot to tie or any shit like that when you're <laughs> 50 feet up on a wall or whatever it is so. yeah yeah i don't know like i would say there's there's not a lot to learn but it's important that you that you know those small like the small amount of safety things that you need to know you need to know them really well yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know it's not it's not huge but yeah pretty important well this is kind of like hearing you describe some climbing stories i'm kind of curious like and if you don't want to go into this or answer this then i totally understand but it, how much like how many climbing partners and stuff would end up dating each other because it really seems like a lot of like which makes sense but a lot of climbers seem like they're just like falling for each other which i kind of get if you're spending like four days stuck on a portalage back to back like I guess so I don't know I think maybe it's maybe I have a different perspective because like when I started climbing there were not a lot of women yeah climbing like it was well when did you start climbing like what was the around the time so my first climbing experience happened in high school we had an outdoor club yeah and I think I was 16 maybe yeah and we went climbing at Crest Creek and then I was always kind of interested, but, you know, there was nobody to climb with and I didn't know anything. Um, and so I didn't really start climbing until I was about 19 yeah. in living in Whistler. And I started climbing with the guy I was dating because we were like, yeah, we should, we should learn to climb. It's great. <laughs> we didn't have harnesses or anything. We just like tied a rope around our waist and just Jeez. totally stupid. So. Not really. I I worked at the first climbing gym in Whistler. Yeah. Um. That was maybe. That was when I moved back to Whistler. I was maybe like twenty two, something yeah. like that. So, it was there was a stretch of time when I, there was no gyms. It was just. Yeah. We would all just hang out and hitchhike to Squamish. Um. I don't know. I think like there was a. I guess most of the women in the climbing community were dating somebody who was climbing. Um, but I mean, for most of the time I lived in Squamish, I was just single and, and most of the climbers that I climbed with just had no interest in having a relationship with anybody. They're just like, I just want to go climbing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely see that. Your relationships with the rocks more than anything else. Like, you're spending all day climbing kind of makes it hard to do other things. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess that kind of worked out. I mean, in some ways, it, did you get like sexism and stuff of people being like, oh, you can't climb, like you're not a guy or was it pretty? Not, or... not very much. There was a couple of guys that, that used to call me down and, and it would be funny because I would just be like, wow, I'm just going to go climb that route anyways, even though you told me I can't. Yeah. Um, no, most of like most of the community was pretty, like nobody cared. Yeah. 
Like, doesn't seem to be the kind of place where get to expect people to be like shitting on each other that much. Or no, just it. At least not most of the climbers that I have known have always just been so encouraging. It's, even if you like, you're only climbing like five, eight, and they climb five, 12 and, and the, they're still like, yeah, I'll believe what five, eight. It's cool. You're <laughs> rocking it. Um, well, that's the best. Like you really want that from communities though. Yeah. I've, I haven't really experienced a whole lot of, I mean, you know, I guess there's assholes everywhere, but yeah, they're always <laughs> you know, other than the odd, the odd person who's just being a jerk because they're a jerk. Um, yeah. Well, it's probably harder to be a jerk in climbing too, because you need something to blame you. So like, <laughs> you off and <laughs> good luck. Well, there was this one French dude that I knew that just soloed everything. Uh, <laughs> just free solo? Like, uh, he did a lot of rope soloing. Yeah. He was super antisocial. Wow. Uh, I didn't even know that was a thing you could do. I didn't know you could solo with ropes. I thought you had to have like yeah. one blade. Yeah, rope soloing, it's a thing. How do you, like, logistically, how does that work? Right? Uh, honestly, I, it's some not a skill that I ever learned. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can't explain it to you. I kind of understand how it works. Yeah. What do you do um, if you fall? Like, you just have to climb back up? Or? Um, yeah, I mean, you've got like GMARs and, and ascender or ascenders and, okay. you know, auto blade devices and things yeah, that. Things that you can do, but... Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> Better than the sketchiness. Like, have you, I'm, have you seen the movie, um, what's it called? Alex's Honnold's, um, I think it's Free Solo, where he's like, yep. goes and solos Al Cap. Yeah, but he's like, he's basically not human. Yeah. <laughs> it does seem that way, at least in some ways. Like, I think they did some study or something, and like his fear response center just doesn't act. Same way it does for most yeah, I think I think that's actually probably a pretty typical thing for people who do some some of the extreme things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I heard podcasts of him, and it's crazy hearing how he describes like he doesn't like he doesn't feel any adrenaline or any fear or anything like that when he's climbing. Like it's totally serene. And he was saying how like it's only the only time you feel adrenaline or get excited is when something's gone wrong, <laughs> and then you're like, oh shit. Yeah. You don't want to be feeling that when you're climbing. Yeah. I wonder though, I definitely wonder like how many people have grown up watching like all the more extreme climbing and have gotten more extreme themselves and now like want to go free solo shit. But I feel like you can't get that far into climbing on just being an idiot who wants to free solo things. I feel like you hurt yourself before you get too high. I don't know. You know, I don't, I actually don't know anybody who free solos stuff yeah. who's ever hurt themselves. Wow. Um, I feel like most people who are, who are free soloing things. And I mean, I've only free soloed a handful of super easy routes. Um, they only free solo at a level where they feel like they're walking on a sidewalk. Um, I was going to ask like, what, what was your motivation for free soloing things? Like just didn't have partners. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's, it's kind of a different game. I mean, it's, it gives you hyper focus. Yeah. It really does. Like when you're when you're out there and you're alone and there's no gear to pay attention to and you know that you can't make a mistake. You, you're just so hyper focused. Yeah. See, I don't like how good that sounds. That's way too appealing. <laughs> um like, but you know having said that, like you know, I was fi- I was I was leading 511s at the time and like free soloing like 57. Yeah. You know, routes that I'd climbed a hundred times and, 
and knew every move and knew every, you know. Almost worse in some ways. Like, I always wanted to be, I feel like you really want to pre-solo something you've never done before, but, like, I feel like if it's too easy, it's easy to get comfortable and slack off a bit, but you probably wouldn't do that if you're pre-soloing, I guess. Like, you'd be too aware that you could fall yeah it's it's kind of a different game i mean like i've definitely gotten lazy um you know top roping stuff and made some mistakes that you know i caught before anyone got hurt but yeah you know when you get super comfortable you just kind of you're like oh yeah i've done this a thousand times yeah it <laughs> tends to be where a lot of injuries happen like it's pretty rare it's like the one thing you're super focused in on it's more the like casual stuff that you're like not thinking about and just get careless so yeah yeah well i think that's we're getting pretty close to the end we should wrap things up soon um maybe i'll do a bonus question just for the fun of it <laughs> okay um so <clears throat> the last couple of years i've just like slowly had an increasing level of kombucha um i haven't made it in a while sadly just because i didn't have time for a while i was too busy spending all my time skiing and stuff but is it, is it just me or is there, a, like, how many climbers are bringing long growlers of kombucha? Like, how? <laughs> I've never yeah. seen, I've never seen a growler of really? kombucha. Uh, maybe some <laughs> cans. Uh, I don't know. I hang out with a pretty small group of climbing friends now, so maybe I'm just not hip to the scene because I'm old. <laughs> Could I be a thing. Yeah, but most of my climbing buddies bring beer. I was going to say. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of cans of Lucky in the backpacks. Oh, man. <laughs> Would you guys drink when you're on the wall? Or was it like base camp kind of thing? Or? Um, it really depends. I mean, when I was big wall climbing, we would always bring beer. Yeah. Small amounts because, you know, you don't want to haul too much. Yeah, I guess. Um, usually there's a summit beer. Somewhere, if you're doing, you know, multi-pitches or climbing mountains, there's yeah. like, yeah, summit beer. Um, <laughs> but when, you know, when you're hanging out at the crags and you're just top roping stuff, like drink a couple beers during the day. Just chill. <laughs> <laughs> so funny how casually you can say that. Like, you know, we're just like 50 feet off the ground, just drinking down some beer. <laughs> but I mean, whatever's normal to you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to wrap up there. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Yeah. Hope it wasn't too intimidating. <laughs> a little bit intimidating. Little? I'm curious, like, what do you think of our recording studio? Like, is it a little, like, intimidating? Or I always joke that I feel like I'm in an asylum with some decorations starting up over a white wall. Yeah, I'm going to go with, like, you need some graffiti or something on these walls. <laughs> We're going to get some friendly up here, like, some plants or something. But... Yeah, well, thank you so much. All right. This concludes the podcast for today. As I mentioned before, Sky doesn't have anything to promote. So until next time, peace.